0: Welcome to CanQueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith and joining me in just a second is Sebastian. Uh, oh, well, you know, this is live radio and uh, it has chosen this uh, ridiculously opportune moment to update Zoom. So Sebastian is going to have to wait for Zoom to complete its update, but that is always the nature of things. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners had caught the, uh, the Oscars last night. It was certainly a lively uh, edition of the Oscars. Um, great LGBTQ representation in the winning uh, films, as well as uh, the representation of the nominees. It was just excellent all around it looks like we may have uh, sebastian joining us right now so let's uh, let's have him jump on the call okay and i see sebastian excellent so sebastian is just Coming in. Thank you. Uh, my apologies for the uh, delay in getting everyone here. I see Sebastian joined, but he hasn't got he is and he's muted himself. How uh, egregious! How are you doing, Sam? Nope, I can't hear you. All right, you may need to fix that. But yes, uh, we are very excited today as well to be welcoming uh, Reagan Swanson, who is the executive director of the. Uh, archives, which I feel like should be pronounced Arqueeves, because it's got the Q-U in it. Maybe there is a pronunciation difference there that I'm not uh, sure of. Uh, Reagan, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm also getting something. You know what? I think it is actually my end. Go ahead.
1: Uh, Can you hear
0: me now? I certainly can. I figured it out. It was my fault. Um, We probably can hear you as well, Sebastian. Uh-huh. Can yeah. You, hear there me there now? You, you can everyone can hear everybody. This is excellent. I swear I have done this before. This is not my uh, my first rodeo. So we are well let's jump into uh into the discussion with the uh with the archives. Now you folks had a rebranding and it was one that I will always tell anyone who stands still long enough because I just adore the fact that you have changed the spelling uh to include the the queue yeah it just it makes my day uh just for our listeners out there do you want to briefly let them know about uh who you are as an organization and the work that you do
1: sure um so the archives was founded 50 years ago and we are canada's lgbtq plus library archive museum really um we collect anything and everything about lgbtq plus history in canada or Um, you know, folks that have come to Canada. So anything that's had a major impact on the lives of queer and trans folks, um, we're here to collect it.
0: And I think it was this collection of queer material and queer history that, uh, that sort of brought us to the topic of today's conversation. I believe somebody on your team reached out to CIUT because for quite a while, one of the only places where you would hear Uh, queer representation in terms of the stories being told uh, in local media, uh, at least local broadcast media was on campus radio stations. So I think we had uh, uh, I think maybe in the Gay Wire at this one I forget the name of There's been a few of them around different uh, LGBT radio shows that have sat with campus stations for for a while. Um, And obviously for the Toronto area was, uh, I saw some head nodding <laughs> on the Zoom call.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, so it was the gay wire that um, I think we reached out to you specifically about in this case. And that was uh, Lo, who um, I'm hoping will actually be able to join us, maybe, because uh, she has uh, way more insight into um, the particular resource um, in terms of particulars, but um, I'm just going to
0: I, I, I do see Lo on the call. And uh, so, okay. Seb, I remember that one of the when we first created our radio show 10 years ago, it was actually we were partly inspired by a similar radio show out of McMaster. Do you recall that one?
2: Yes. Uh, Queer Radio Hamilton on 93.3 CFMU. No, this is CFMU.
0: No, this is C-I-U-T. Mm-hmm cfmu is mcmaster that's yeah yeah
2: okay sorry my brain is all scrambled right now you know i'm gonna blame everything today both both the the audio issues and my own brain issues on daylight savings time i think we should kick it off a cliff and my brain is just the whole country is jet lagged anyway um but yes it was a, a a fairly um sort of seasoned show let's say by the time that i got to it um and i was a co-host in the early 2000s and the show was already 10 years old by then and the uh the coho the the main host of the show he became the host uh, he actually went into media in general because uh when he was closeted in high school in the early 90s he used to go out and sit in his mother's car and listen to the sort of local campus radio station just talking about queer news uh mostly uh, at that time, it would have mostly been human rights updates here in Canada, legal updates, uh, discussion about various sort of local politics. And um, there, this was before same-sex marriage was legalized. So a lot of the fundamental rights, things like visitation rights in the hospital and to be able to inherit property, a lot of that was just not in place yet. So there was a lot to talk about in terms of um, politics and Raids and human rights abuses and all sorts of things here in Canada. Um, so that was a, a very relevant thing. And he wanted to be that voice for his community when he grew up to be an adult. So he went into media. He did a whole bunch of things to in order to position himself to get on that show. It's a very inspiring story.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why I bring it up and to kind of help contextualize this conversation is that queer history... And, and I'm sure the actual archives on the call can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way that it has been captured and stored and recorded, you know, seems very fragmented, very uh, disparate uh, in terms of where that information is captured or, or even if it is captured, you know, I, I suspect a lot of our history remains an oral history just from people uh, who have lived through these things. So. Now, do you, I know that you've put together a quite a, a phenomenal piece of educational uh, uh, tool for for school boards, but I'm kind of wondering about in the process of putting together this educational tool, how did you gather uh, the, the 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 snippets of queer history into one place? Like, what was like? I suspect that was a mammoth task, but uh, how did that uh, how did that unfold?
1: Um. So there's a couple of questions there, but um, so yeah, there's the way we collect history is very different, especially when it's organizations and people that have not been able to openly collect their material. So the reason our organization was founded six years ago was because there was nowhere safe to put material when it was being collected by the body politic here in Toronto. So community had to find and make their own space to keep that history safe. So, you know, we're one of the largest LGBTQ archives in the world at this point. And our collection is extremely diverse in terms of like what we have in terms of medium. So like lots of AV material, lots of textual records, artifacts, banners, posters, you know, you name it. But yeah, it was a huge task to go through and find particular items from the collection to add in to the work that our educator um, consultants kind of did in terms of like what the educators need, what kind of resources will be helpful to them. And that's where Lowe came in. So it's important that we had someone who is familiar with our collection and Lowe had worked as a volunteer with us. And so they were able to kind of dig through everything and just spend, you know, hours and hours doing archival research, finding material that was diverse and representative of the entire country um, that represented folks from different types of communities within the LGBTQ plus community and to pull all those together so that, you know, we would have a resource that would kind of be useful to teachers that wasn't just going to be, you know, here's a bunch of pictures of pride in 1980s um, and that's it. Like we really had to dig and find a lot of different mediums as well. And so Lowe and uh, another researcher, Nicole, um, both did that work so that we could really dig into the research and really dig into the collection.
0: So I suppose what I'm wondering is, if I am a history or an English teacher in, uh, in Ontario or anywhere in the country, hearing about this maybe for the first time, what, what value is within this package of, of information that you've pulled together? What are, what, how would that add to the class discussions or the material being presented to students?
1: Yeah, so we really wanted to make sure that we were creating something and producing something that was going to be applicable. So what we've really done is work with educators to highlight specific parts of the curriculum that this material can fit into. So essentially we've made lesson plans and activities that can be slotted in to existing curriculum to augment it. So this is making sure that queer and trans voices are included when you're talking about social studies, when you're talking about history, when you're talking about English literature, There's ways to incorporate queer and trans stories into that. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a mix of here are some activities that you can do with your, you know, high school students to let's have a discussion on this X topic. And, um, you know, all that was done in consultation with educators. But really, we wanted to make sure that, you know, when we're having those conversations in the classroom, it's coming from a place that, is highlighting and really kind of bringing to light the fact that there's a history here. This is not a question of, you know, we're only talking about this now. This is something that we've been in conversation about for, like, generations. So, you know, a lot of students, and the, one of the main reasons why we did this was because a lot of students come to us and say, you know, we're finding our community. Like, we we're not born into these communities. We've got to go out and find them. And a lot of of the history is passed down orally and, you know, was not around for the next generation, be it because of transphobia, because of HIV and AIDS crisis. So, you know, this is a repository to just kind of make sure those stories kind of keep coming together so that they're around for the next generation.
0: I find that particular piece truly fascinating that that sort of uh, cultural exchange within community and myself and Sebastian we've talked about this a lot before about how um, I think this this newer generation is particularly um, impacted by it because I remember going up, uh, you learned about the queer community from queer elders that you came across, you know, getting involved with pride or going to the bars and in places where queer folks gathered. That's where you get a sense of, you know, a broader history, but also, you know, some of the street smarts that might be specific to your your town and place and uh, what have you. I think there is definitely um an exchange, an intergenerational exchange in the queer community that I don't think we see as replicated elsewhere. Um, And I vaguely recall, Sebastian, I don't know if you remember this exactly, but there was a study of um, cultural exchange. I think it was an article in the New York Times looking at how culture is passed on through generations. And I think it looked at religious cultures and then other cultures and it, it was it's gonna bug me if i can't remember but do you recall this conversation i feel like we've I, had this conversation about that
2: i'm not sure i do know what you're talking oh, about it's gonna
0: actually. it's gonna i'm but gonna wake is, up at 2 a.m and just know
2: there there is an interesting shift happening in terms of how history is perceived in general and i know i i've i've had many 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 friends who did either their undergrads or even actually went all the way to PhD in history and how you talk about history is actually a lot more complicated than it may seem to the layman. And something that has come up before is the idea that like back in the day, you know, you'd, you'd go to the bars, you'd go to Pride, you'd go to community centers, you'd go to events and you would speak to people and they would give you an oral history. But then there would always be somebody nearby saying like, well, that's not what happened. And then you realize that history is complicated and fuzzy and there's more of a discussion and a lot of a lot of younger folks now if they're learning history they if they read about it from like a website or from a program or something they may not be exposed to that idea of you know there's more than one way of perceiving history there's more than one way of framing history and just being in a social space surrounded by other people in that sort of cultural milieu helps you pick apart uh when well not only just how to look at history is complicated and fuzzy and if you're not there the best you can do is have a very good guess um but also kind of gives you an idea that you know some some people's histories are are better to listen to than others because uh even uh luke and i have spoken to people and they've told us stories and we're like we were there that is not what happened so i mean Mm. it's it's really interesting and 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 because a lot of queer history is preserved in these artifacts and through oral histories there is this sort of natural lostness it feels like we know as much about being queer in the 1960s as we know about what it's like to be roman like there's just something there's something kind of lost feeling about it that kind of makes it fascinating and also makes it a difficult subject
0: so how did you account for that
1: um i think it's about having conversations about how your lived experience like gives you a positionality of when you're, you're talking about history, right? So that's why it was really important. And I'm kind of like talking about, low, well, they're right here, but um, maybe they can speak more about having a lot of different perspectives of the type of stories that we were including. So making sure that, you know, we had different communities represented for a specific time period gives a different account because, a Black trans woman is not going to have the same experience in 1972 than, you know, a white cis man did as they walked down Church Street. So, you know, it's really important that we consider how someone's lived experience impacts the way they felt history and the way that they lived it.
3: Yeah, we did do a lot of digging, looking at different communities for representation, also looking at different regions and geographies. So someone living in a city is going to have a very different experience growing up, as opposed to someone in a rural area. Uh, and so the things that we were choosing were things that we really wanted to engage and activate conversation for, for students. Uh, we we're really interested in thinking about how things like community building has changed. And you, those kinds of questions are really reflected in the materials as well. And in terms of format as well it was really important to us not to just have walls of text um, because reading it's important (laughs) reading someone's experience is important but also listening to a radio spot for example or watching a video or looking at posters and photographs is going to give give you a different experience and uh, maybe a more fulsome picture.
0: What occurs to me and I think this is a struggle that I don't know how you may have addressed but I feel like a lot of queer history is moments of persecution, moments of it's frankly, to to boil it down, it's a heck of a lot of bad news that that happened, you know, And, and how do you capture and celebrate moments of joy in this in this education and conveying this history? Like, were you able to pass through and find elements of joy, not just, you know, X number of people rounded up in Project Soap, or you know, X amount killed in a firebomb in a in a bar. You know, how did you, how did you find that balance between what is our shared trauma and hopefully what is some moments of celebration in between those?
4: Uh,
1: that's always very tricky. I'll give my part of my answer, and then I'll pass it off little. But I think one of the things that we had to celebrate was some of the first. So the first time that, you know, it was, you know, there was a first gay radio show coming out show out in BC, you know, this is a first that we can celebrate that we can talk about. It's not, you know, the, the things that they talked about. And that's the necessarily, I uh, was some of, you know, upbeat and happy. It was, uh, you know, conversations, but, you know, looking at the first and looking at the people that, you know, have really made a difference in the lives of LGBTQ2 folks in Canada, because, you know, there's so many stories about, you know, activists and things like that, that we, well, some of that's what we learn about in school. But well, how many queer stories are there? there? How many trans stories are there, there? So being able to go, you know, here is someone who made a difference in the lives of people in Canada um, and around the world, in some cases, let's celebrate them. Um and I don't know if you can catch on. Time. maybe there's
3: something else you want to add there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you put it really well. Like we didn't want to gloss over or pretend there hasn't been uh, struggles and challenges within these communities because obviously there have. Um, but as Reagan said, it's really important to also acknowledge and uh, and celebrate what has been done, the progress that has been made, uh, and also to consider what progress there still has to be made as well.
0: I think the last question I have is, is the tool that you have created, that which, which I really hope teachers across the country uh, will look at as a way of augmenting the, the work they already have in place? I think this sounds like uh, an excellent resource for teachers who are... Um, maybe not as well resourced as they should be. You know what I mean. Like this might this might be helpful um, uh, to to teachers looking to to provide dynamic teaching opportunities. But I think what I'm wondering is, what's your target audience with this material that you have provided? Is it for the general public, i.e., a student body that is you know statistically predominantly uh, straight, even though every youngest generation is always queerer than the next Um, because I I think how you speak to young queer folks and how you would speak to the general public at large you know I feel like they would be slightly different conversations I'm kind of curious as to how the audience uh, translated into these uh, this resource
1: so we wanted something that was general enough that anybody could learn something from it so there is such a lack of lgbtq plus history in curriculum in general that we didn't really have to worry about that. We could put any of important dates in and it would probably be a learning experience for anybody, even if they identified as lgbtq plus. Um, But at the same time, we wanted it to be I, I, young is not the right word, but something that was current enough. That somebody who does identify as queer or trans um, wasn't going to just sit there and feel like they were being talked about rather than be included into the conversation. Um, I'll pass it off to Lo as well, because I know that they were very involved in the writing of that part.
3: Yeah, well, we also have, uh, like, in total, we have three documents. So kind of the core one is is the curriculum itself, which includes lesson plans. But then we also have one um, specifically for teachers. Uh, because one of the concerns uh, that came up in surveys preceding this document was that teachers weren't, maybe weren't confident enough teaching this material. So we created a resource um, to give teachers a primer uh, going into teaching this content as well. So, yeah, our audience is teachers and also the high school students. In terms of the content writing, um, we tried not to, to I, I don't know, avoid specific topics. We tried to to include as much as possible. And, and as Reagan said, um, have it be from, yeah, <laughs> tried to include as many uh, topics as we possibly could.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, me and Seb might get into in just a few moments okay. before we wrap up the, uh, the interview here is uh, Canada was just ranked number two on the Spatagus Gay Travel Index. Uh, I think we were beaten out by Malta. But I bring this up because Canada is in a, you know, com- relatively to the rest of the world in a very, very good position. And, um, you know, what? I'm not going to lie. I've, I completely forgot where I was going with this. But it'll it'll come to me. <laughs> you know when you start a thread and it's just, it's it's gone entirely. All right, well. Uh, I and daylight the f- savings. Daylight savings. That's exactly yeah. it. I'm. I'm also going to blame daylight savings uh, for this one, um, in terms of of uh, my losing my trail of thought there. But I want to thank you both so much for coming and joining us uh, on the call. I strongly hope. Oh well, now I remembered it. Actually, it has come back to me. Elsewhere in the world, there is a growing pushback against. Uh, education, particularly on LGBT topics, particularly on the trans identity. You know, Canada is not immune to that, despite being, you know, number two for for gay travel. How are you, are you predicting some kind of pushback to making this content available to educators?
4: Um,
1: I don't think, well, <laughs> pushback comes from a lot of different places and sometimes it's within the community sometimes it's outside of it so you know we expect that there will be edits and changes that will happen based on feedback that we receive from the community um from outside the community you know we've had many different publications over the years this is the first one that's really focused at high school and teachers specifically um i'm interested to see how things pan out we are often overshadowed when we talk about LGBTQ plus history, we're often overshadowed by American history. And while American history has impacted Canada, undoubtedly, the reality is that there's a rich history here. And so we're hoping that, you know, the teachers and communities that are wanting to talk about these are going to be able to pick up this document and, you know, they don't have to use everything for it to be impactful to the students. They can pick apart a small bit of it and add it to what they teach, and it can make a difference in the lives of LGBTQ2 plus students. Pushback, we'll have to see, but um, not everybody's going to be happy. And um, I, hopefully the realities of, um, you know, what Canada can be, if, you know, and I should really say it really depends where you are in this world. I think mm-hmm. that a teacher taking this into a rural New Brunswick is going to have a very different experience than like TDSB trying to include it into something. So you know we're here to support those teachers and to offer them resources and hopefully you know the, I think it be more on the teachers uh, in frankly think in terms of the pushback that would be received rather than us being able to offer this document. So um, well, hopefully we can support those teachers when the time comes.
0: Well, I think everyone should take a chance and uh, check it out. It was it was incredibly well made and uh, very informative. It was a fantastic piece of work. So I wanna thank uh, both of you for all of your work on putting this and also not just capturing and uh, maintaining the record of our community, but also making it available uh, for the education of the next generation. It is incredibly important work, and we want to thank you for that.
1: Thank you. And, um, you know, we're still working out the case, but make sure that uh, you check it out on the website so that um, you can see it and check out the digital exhibits, too. Maybe you'll learn something along the way.
0: Excellent. So the... the, the ar- the archives. I'm not gonna. I keep wanting to call it the arquives, but it's not the arquives. It is the the archives, and the website for that is a r q u i v e s dot c a. That's arquives.ca, dot thats arquives.ca, dot So archives with a Q. Uh, not to be pronounced our queaves, which is what i've been calling it all morning um thank you so much we're going to be jumping now to burden complex by tinge and we will be back just after this the
4: kid's size too small to comprehend adult shaped by childhood events they still say you were too young.
0: And welcome back to your home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith,
2: and I'm Sebastian.
0: And uh, yeah, so the Spartacus Gay Travel Index. Now, this is for folks who wanted to, who you know, it, it, it's 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 a gay travel website. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they have a point-based system. You know, is it the most uh, rigorous testing methodology in the history of the world? Probably not, uh, but as a loose frame of reference, which is what I think most people use the Spantagus Gay Travel Index for. I don't think they're quite using it to uh, to plan the UN uh, schedule, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think as a loose index of sort of where countries are doing... And, and how they're doing it's not uh, not a bad jumping off point but I was a little surprised well first of all I wasn't surprised at how well Canada placed mm-hmm. uh, but I was a little bit surprised that Malta uh, came out on top like did you know that Malta was was doing so incredibly well? Well if, if, if
2: this is the interesting thing uh, looking at their little scoreboard here uh, locals hostile they got a negative one for that but for all the legal stuff. So anything to do with uh, the legal standing of LGBTQ people in Malta is basically ones all across the board doing really well. Uh, Canada tied with Switzerland, but they said uh, we get nothing in terms of LGBT marketing. And I have seen ads and I, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I don't know why we're getting a zero for that. But yeah, so the the it's kind of loosey-goosey. Um, it, it's Malta being number one, is kind of surprising but uh Saudi Arabia being right at the bottom of the list not so surprising yeah
0: so for our audience sake they measure things on the scale of anti-discrimination legislation marriage or civil partnership adoption being allowed trans rights uh intersex identity inclusion the mm-hmm. equal age of consent uh it does conversion therapy exist is there LGBT marketing I, I suspect that's probably the the don't say gay laws would run afoul of those. And then, is there religious influence? Are there HIV travel restrictions anti gay laws? Is homosexuality illegal? Is pride Mm -hmm. banned? Is there hostility locally? Uh, Is there prosecution murders or death sentences? And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so Canada does not have prosecutions, murders, or death sentences. So that's that's pretty good news. We're doing pretty well on that front. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did jot down... Where some of the other ones landed up. So Canada was joint second with Switzerland, very mm-hmm. exciting. And uh, Malta came up right at the top. So if you're planning a, a nice getaway to the sun, recommend Malta. Uh, but then the United Kingdom was down at tenth. And then I was I was a little bit curious. I was like, I wonder where this American company has placed the United States of America on their tourism travel index. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, without looking, because I know you're looking, where would you guess in the list of 160-odd countries in terms of LGBT travel that the United States of America would fall?
2: Uh... uh well, I know that there's a separate listing for each individual state. Um, I don't see where it is overall. I'm going to guess somewhere in the sort of 20 to 30. This is in terms of, by the way, travel and tourism. This is not in terms of living there. So yes, a lot of yeah. the a lot of the issues that affect this, uh, would it affect you as a tourist? Mm-hmm. Um, probably not in most cases. If you're a tourist just visiting a country, I would say United States is probably not as well off as Canada in terms of of tourism just you know if things happen to you how's the healthcare system going to treat you?
0: you you need to consider things also, like emergencies I feel like it's very hit or miss in the states like New York Los Angeles you know San Francisco very gay very fine you're going to do fine but if you're mm-hmm. in you know the backwaters of Tennessee maybe not uh, maybe not so great uh, at this point I, I mean there's stereotypes but you also
2: have that sort of Good country folk. Well, he ain't hurting nobody. You better left leave him alone. That kind of attitude is also out there somewhere, you know. So it's um, it's a big it's a mixed bag. Where, where do they put themselves? Where do, 35th, do they put the US?
0: Thirty fifth. There are thirty four countries that are okay. better for gay tourists uh, than the United States. Uh, yeah, so it's it's certainly. But it's interesting. I was talking to my gay hairdresser, mm-hmm. and uh, fantastic. Did a fantastic job. I have just not done a fantastic job of maintaining it. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about travel, and he was talking about uh, getting down to the states and Florida. And, and generally, we, he was talking about uh, Ron DeSantis and some of the anti gay legislation to come out of that state. And said, you know, you'd go every year, every year, twice, two, three times a year to Miami. Great mm-hmm. time bringing all those uh, Canadian dollars. I was going to mention Miami.
2: Miami. I have, I have uh, co-workers there. As you know, my company is uh, spread out throughout the mm-hmm. world. And I actually had a, a, a two-hour-long meeting with somebody from Miami a while ago. And he referred to it as the most progressive conservative city in America.
0: Well, it's like, having the, the DeSantis discourse is having an impact because this random hairdresser said, mm-hmm. you know what, I think I'm going to go to an all-inclusive in Cuba because it's not it's about the same money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it's the sense that legally and just in general, he would have felt safer at a resort in Cuba than mm-hmm. in Miami with the anti-gay rhetoric coming out of the States at the moment. So I don't know. I think the I think the Americans are I don't know if they have a huge gay tourism draw, but I think they're slowly ceding ground to places like Mexico and another uh, uh, literally hot spots. Uh, in the in the Caribbean well they're also
2: running into the same problem that a lot of Canadian cities are having which is the, a lot of the old uh, villages are being priced out just because of inflation and condos replacing everything so you know, the the old Fire Island out on the East Coast and all the stuff on the West Coast around San Francisco and LA a lot of them are, are being priced out no one can afford to go them anymore And then you get things like there's a growing community in uh, Portland. So Oregon, old cowboy country, is now sort of turning into uh, a really good place for for queer tourism. Then there's, oh, what is it? There's that city that has like 80% of the population is is queer. I can't remember what it is. It's like a little retirement village. Um, But yeah, it's really weird. I've heard really good things about Ohio and Iowa that the, the big cities there are actually incredibly friendly and they're great places to go for tourism. And it's, there's been sort of a shakeup. Some of that has to do with a lot of the recent, um, uh, let's say discussion in the media. And some of it just has to do with the fact of, of demographic shifting, um, people not being able to afford to live in their own neighborhoods anymore. Some of that, like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the thing with the, the bourgeois ruin everything. Oh, gentrification. Uh, gentrification yeah a the lot of the old with the
0: bourgeois you ruin everything yeah yeah yeah. You know a lot of the old
2: like... neighborhoods are being gentrified um and i don't know i i'm in the the category of gentrification is a mixed bag it's mostly bad but can be good like detroit could use a little bit um i think new york could use far less toronto could use way less mm. uh, but anyway so yeah tourism in in the states is in general like go on reddit and ask a local it's really hard to predict sometimes because even here in Ontario, there are parts of the country, uh, parts of uh, Ontario that are known for, you know, countryside narrow mindedness. And there's other communities that are well known for, he ain't hurting nobody best leave him alone attitudes. Like it's, it's kind of inconsistent. I've heard really good things about Godrich um, somehow, but then, you know, I don't know. It's all over the place.
0: You know, there is a good example of that, perhaps, with Moncton, New Brunswick. Uh-huh. Uh, it is one of the only places in New Brunswick I haven't been to. It is uh, the more—it's more French than English, mm-hmm. and uh, they had um, about thirty people show up to protest a uh, drag queen reading from a children's book. Now, mm-hmm. we're not talking about a salaciously dressed drag queen. There was no strip teasers. It was just a Dolly Parton-esque type looking drag okay. queen reading a uh, a book. So that's 30 odd people showed up to protest the drag book reading in Moncton, New Brunswick. Which, which book was it? Was I it the one know, with the
2: mouse know. who wants a glass of oh, milk? Or maybe
0: it's The Two Penguins. That might be. That's always a very popular one as well. Oh, it's the, the one with the, glass, the mouse that wanted a glass of milk. What was that one? We're gonna have to. Someone's gonna have to reach out and let us know what, <laughs> what is the one with the glass of milk, and uh-huh. uh, we'll see if uh, if there's any responses. But when the my point maybe here is where thirty mm-hmm. people from around the area showed up to protest someone reading a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a hundred and fifty people who showed up to demonstrate that you know what this is fine. And Mm -hmm. the grown adults that are making their decisions about parenting, the many people in responsible positions in the library that arranged it, uh, Mm -hmm. that it's fine. Everything is fine. uh, And, you know, nobody is at risk here except for maybe being yelled at on the way in Mm -hmm. uh, to get there. But it was it was quite the astonishing demonstration of support in Moncton uh, with 150 people showing up to to support this event, compared to the thirty-ish that uh, were protesting it, I believe that there was a similar event in Halifax that also got uh, recently protested as well. But on the whole, it, it's you know you, you know all things uh, you know balanced out. There is a lot more people in favor of either just minding your own business, which mm-hmm. is always an option. Or just in favor of letting folks who want to go—that no one's being dragged. Uh, well, the performers are being dragged, but that's another interpretation. <laughs> no one is being uh-huh. forced to go and attend these things, uh, you know. And it's just—it's frustrating. It reminds me of an Ipsos poll that came out recently in the states, where they were looking at um, the idea of whether or not people like being woke, because there's this push that woke is the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And everyone is against it. It's being very much sort of vilified as as uh, a, a concept. Now, being mm-hmm. woke is generally just being aware of. So, the USA Today did an Ipsos poll of about a thousand people, and they found that fifty-six percent chose to be informed, educated, or aware of various social injustice elements, <sighs> and that's fundamentally at the at the at the minimum of what being woke really is it's just well being, i mean there, there's two different informed. angles to
2: it though because there, there's wokeness as in paying attention to injustices but then wokeness is also a, a specific uh, people treat it as being a specific framework through which to view these events so you can agree that there are problems with uh let's say food accessibility Uh, in food deserts and in in impoverished neighborhoods but you could have a different reading about what to do with it or what that symbolizes or what that means so I mean it's I don't know that kind of framing feels kind of weird I've also heard a lot of people now starting to talk about being post-woke because now there's like an anti-woke thing happening where they just anything woke they reject it outright then you have these other people are like well sometimes woke Wokeness is right. Sometimes it's not right. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's about just listening to it as a thing. And sometimes you go, "Oh, I agree. I but agree with the analysis." This, and- this
0: seems to be an age thing. So, according to this study, they found that the respondents' age actually had a pretty big impact on how okay. they understood this concept. Okay, for yeah, people yeah. aged fifty to sixty-four, they uh-huh. understood woke to be overly politically correct. and to be policing other people's words. So 50-plus viewed it as this sort of uh, authoritative uh, leftist fascism. Okay. And then, whereas when it comes to 18- to 34-year-olds, it was about 30% had that perception, and others didn't. Hang on a second. And then uh, we also had had 37% of 35- to 49-year-olds uh, feeling the same way so how people are understanding the term seems to be depending on who you are or where you are and how old you are mm-hmm. but i think my underlying point here is that fundamentally when these people were asked is it important to be educated the vast majority said yes it's important mm-hmm. to be educated
2: yep yeah. i think um any right thinking person any
0: Oh, we seem to have lost uh, Sebastian Alright, whilst we bring him back online uh, As he tells us what Any right-thinking person May or may not do This is uh, Say by uh, Dan Brownrigg And we will be back Just after this There you go Oh, you're back, we're just jumping to a song Yep Yep. And then you can tell us what right, 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 right-thinking people would think <laughs> Alright, we'll be back Just after this <laughs>
4: Say, say, say All that you want to
0: Say, say, say Your words, they don't choose you
4: Wait It'll happen to you too.
0: Hello and welcome back to Canque, home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith,
2: and I'm Sebastian.
0: And uh, we are—we don't have a huge amount of time left, but I—I I just want to reiterate here. I'm not—I'm not trying to adjudicate on whether or not what is or what isn't woke. I think the—the—the <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to get across is that when you actually survey large numbers of people, and they—they they found this—this this also, ex, you know, was the same in Britain. Mm-hmm. That. The majority of people, and I suspect it's the same of our listeners, either are just not that bothered, you know, yeah. or, you know, it's not it's not it's not more important to them than the price of eggs or, you know, being informed is broadly a good thing. And, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, you do you.
2: My my mother, my own mother had no idea what wokeness was, what the word was, How what it meant, how to interpret the word. And then if you outline individual things like, you know, here is, here's a claim, here's a belief, here's a stereotypical belief, here's sort of a cartoonish version of that belief that you might see on the news. And she's like, oh, all that, that's lumped together as one idea. It's like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, in general, you know, she understands why they're upset, but she wish she would calm down. But uh, but even then, it depends on it depends on what the story is because sometimes she's like they are exactly as angry as they should be. So I don't know. It's it's a complicated thing overall. And and as I was saying before, uh, the connection got all weird. Is um, ideally, you would hope that all people, regardless of where they sit on the, the the political spectrum, would agree that getting your hands on information before you open your mouth is a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, from that perspective, I think, ideally, uh, I don't I don't think anyone would disagree with that that portion of it. I, I should hope anyway.
0: No, I I agree entirely. I did want to uh, I did want And to... also
2: no two people are gonna agree on how to define a living social movement. Like there's probably you could probably find something from the late sixties, early seventies where no two people would agree on what a hippie is. Mm. So I mean you're you're gonna you're just gonna run into that by nature of it still being active.
0: Yeah. No, you're yeah, yeah, absolutely absolutely spot on. Um, we Okay so the other thing I wanted to mention is that now that World Pride has wrapped up in the states mm-hmm. very exciting uh, the next place it's going is actually Washington DC so they will be hosting World Pride in I want to say I'm not sure if it's 2024 or 2025 Oh that's uh, complicated which is the the next one um but yeah 2025 is the next one yeah so it's going to be pretty big you know the world prides draw massive audiences so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners may recall the world pride that was in toronto i want to say 2018 or 17 or
2: something or 16. like that yeah recent
0: not... but but before covid yeah but... yeah but not like distant past yeah i think it was 18. yeah that's, that's that number feels right Okay yeah. Um, for it. Uh, we're both but, sitting you know, in front
2: of the internet. I'm going to type it you're in. You're going to google it. Uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, so the the World Pride when it came to Toronto had about I think it was an estimated as a million people participating, bearing in mind that the city, the downtown city of Toronto has like 3 million or had 3 million at the time. So it is a oh. massive influx of people that comes in. And likewise it's 2014. 2014. Oh wow. Yeah. We were yeah, that yeah, was yeah. way off. Time flies. Time flies. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the fact that it's going to DC is going to have a huge impact, obviously, on uh, on DC Pride and really kind of amplify it from there.
2: I can guarantee that's going to generate a ton of interesting stories as well, because as I'm sure you know, DC is the city without a state. Um, it is. Uh, they have a whole bunch of issues to do with funding and, and local city planning and whatnot, because they're in this weird limbo. Um, so I, that's weirdly enough that this is going to be one of those things where we, we may end up talking about what a local alderman says this time next year. Yeah. But Just... we,
0: we always talk about the local alderman. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, uh, that's not necessarily a new thing. Uh-huh. We'll, uh, we will keep an eye on it because I think it's certainly going to be, going to be interesting as they try and push for obviously people to go and visit mm-hmm. uh, that. Now we did see, um, great representation being, uh, winning in the, Oscars, this was the most pleasant, cute, adorable, tear-jerking, make-you-cry, sickeningly sweet, nice Oscars that I have ever seen. It was lovely.
2: I had no idea that it happened.
0: Yep, it happened yesterday. It was lovely. <laughs> Everyone had a lovely time. It went well. There was no controversies. Everyone had lovely speeches. Um, the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once um, did uh, do a bit of a dig at the Tennessee law that banned uh, drag shows. Well, actually, mm-hmm. what they've banned in Tennessee is um, uh, exotic adult ent- entertainment in public, mm-hmm. uh, which was already banned.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The
0: attorney, I believe the attorney general for uh, Tennessee issued a statement saying that then nothing's changed. Like, they've just added a new law, which other laws are already banned. So it's just Got it's, it. it's the it. same. So <laughs> on the one hand, that means drag performers in Tennessee are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that the, the law enforcement agencies are, are not going to start rounding them up. But it does really point out that it was a massive waste of time and a phenomenal mm-hmm. misdirection. You know, it really was, look over there with legislation to ban drag shows when, in fact, they did not ban drag shows. They have not banned drag storytelling. What they have banned is strip teases in front of children, which may shock you to know was already illegal in Tennessee.
2: Hmm. I, I My cynical approach is this is government uh, trying to look busy. Um, this is
0: government being distracting, is what yeah, I yeah I yeah yeah.
2: There's is. England is is famous for this, where they they debate something in Parliament and then it turns out they didn't have to do that because it was already on the books, or you know they're yeah. they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna ban. Uh, uh, setting your own house on fire and they're going to debate that for four hours because there's something else they don't want to talk about. So they're going to do this really obvious thing instead. That's technically already on the books, but this exact phrasing of it is not ex- already in the books. I don't know. Um, there is a lot of time wasting in politics, sometimes deliberate time wasting yeah. as well.
0: Well, we kept an eye on the Tennessee drag ban, and uh, we'll continue to monitor the other bands that are being introduced across the state. We are playing out now with all your favorite bands, uh, the Alison Crow cover, uh, Sarah Murray white thank you for listening
5: late night drives and hot french fries and friends around the country from Charlotte'sville